This is the end of the story. What I'm about to say concerns every one of you, but especially the killer. Throughout the investigation, the things that most amazed me were your coldness, your ruthless cynicism, and the way you could just disappear. On occasion, I came very near to unmasking you, but each time I was taken in and thrown off the trail by these characteristics. And I tell you that even now, you think that you're secure that you're safe. You believe that you've covered your tracks perfectly, that you foresaw all the moves that could be made. You had the cold-blooded nerve to pull off a killing in public, and the quickness of mind to stay one step ahead of me, right up to the end. No wonder you feel confident. No wonder you feel as though you have nothing to worry about. Your plan was perfect, and you executed it perfectly. But there was one unforeseeable, Stefania's courage and tenacity. It was she who eventually gave me the answer, and who showed me the rope. It's going to hang you. Hey, don't hang up. This is Jello Chow Chow, the all Jello show. If you even think of hanging up or leaving the room for a scotch, we will murder you. Now listen, Great Creeperson and the Phantom Eric and Chris want to take you on a ride through dark alleys and bright rooms, long stairways, and backstage at the art gallery. If you want to live, you'll don your black gloves and join them for the ride. Chow Chow, everybody. Welcome to Shallow Chow Chow. Episode this many and I 25. Tri- 25. Big this one. is like our 10 anniversary, right? Yes. Yes. 10 oh, like do we all get a, do we all get each other a 10 gift? Yeah, I want a 10 can with a string on it so I could talk to you guys from over here. Well, I got a tin man. Ooh. I need to oil him up. Don't talk to us about your sex toys, buddy. <laughs> and um, yeah. I, I tricked everyone again. We were in the middle of talking about exploding garbage disposals, and then pow! We started yep. the show. Drop I was wondering the bomb, if you did that chow, on purpose. Chow, chow bomb. Yeah, it's a chow chow bomb. <laughs> Is that Something your new like thing? That. What, a chow chow bomb? Yeah. 
don't know. Is it my new thing? You, you just drop it in the middle of the conversation. Yeah. As if, as if it's not difficult enough with creep interrupting with raspberries and just non sequiturs. Now we've got sound bites. Yeah. Yep. It's just it's one. Got a soundboard. Yeah, that's all it is. And and is it a soundboard that's just it's on speak? Phone. Like you're basically triggering it from somewhere, and then it comes out of the speakers and gets picked up by your microphone, right? It's just my phone. I'm just pushing play. <laughs> High tech. It's on your phone. <laughs> yeah. High tech. And it was stupid because I was pulling my phone up to my face and then pushing play, like thinking that you guys would be able to hear it better if I put it near the headphones. And then realize that I'm on my um, PC, so that doesn't actually do that. That's not how it works, Creep. <laughs> yeah. I hate to break it to you 25 episodes <clears throat> in. Yeah. So anyway, um, welcome to Jello Chow Chow, episode 25. Um, and today we're going to meet my dear killer with an A. <laughs> gangsta. Gangsta style. Um Real quick, though, um, I want to thank people who have left us uh, nice reviews on iTunes, because um, I think you checked it a while back, and then I checked it um, the other day, and it was very nice to see that people were giving us some love. Yeah. Love is great. a nice thing. Take some time to, to do that, you know, so yeah. it's we really appreciated. And um, Apple doesn't make it um, easy for you to fucking do anything on their no. goddamn site. So anyone who does anything that far in, I really appreciate it. Even <laughs> that one guy who said it's awesome to listen to guys who know nothing about film but are just really excited about it. That was also <laughs> okay. I appreciate you, sir. <laughs> He's not talking about me, though. He's, he's talking <clears throat> about you, too, right? Um, I think he put that before Chris ever came on the show, so he was probably just talking about me. Yeah, there you go. It was a personal dig that made me cry for about four seconds. <laughs> and then something happened that just made it all better. Yeah. Remember, which means it's time to... Damn it. Blake! There it is. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> that, that made the smiles happen. You're jumping some sharks over there. Oh my god. He clearly needs to practice his sound bites before the show. You want to know what it is? I have these thumbs the size of Eric's privates, and I'm trying to push little buttons on my iPhone. <laughs> Try pushing it with your private. There you go. Try uh, pushing uh, it with Eric's privates. I wish my private was as big as Eric's private. Good lord. Okay, now I really feel like Fawn's on water skis. So yeah. let's uh, let's get cracking. So there's some news, right? Some... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's some news in the Jalo world. Who wants to take it? Not me. Chris, I want to hear your full report. Uh, well, okay. Uh, I don't know if it's a full report, but it's a report. Um. We've gotten word uh, through various sources that uh, our good friend and uh, colleague, listener to Mr. the show, Dar yeah. Mr. Dario Argento, is crowdfunding his latest film called The Sandman, which stars Iggy Pop as the Sandman, I think. And uh, there's a really 
uh, kind of douche chill inducing video uh, on the uh, crowdfunding website. Yeah, did you say douche? Douche chill. You guys know, you know, like, did you ever get the douche chills from something? Like when your douche is cold and you squeeze it up and you're expecting it to be room temperature? I guess. It's just like something that, you know, it's just in in poor taste and kind of skeeves you out. You know, <laughs> gives you the douche chills. Oh my anyway, god, guess what? You, just, you didn't record. No, it's recording. Oh, okay. Cool. I just wanted to scare you guys. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I figured we could do it better anyway. Oh. Uh, we started over. So anyway, um, ciao, ciao, everybody. Yeah. No, I'm just so, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was so actually Ig- kind of so relieved. Iggy, so Mr. Iggy Pop is on the video talking about how he loves Dario Argento so much. Who knew, right? Yeah. And um, how he really wants to work with Dario in his next film called The Sandman. And then Dario pops in and says a bunch of things in Italian and then I think he says a couple of words in English um, and there you have it ladies and gentlemen there's a script that's been written uh, and Dario wants to film uh, I read a little bit of the interview that you linked to Eric um, he wants to film in New York and maybe in Canada or maybe in Italy um, he uh, doesn't want to be too self-referential with pointing to older uh you know with with, you know with quoting or referring to older films but uh he he mentions uh giallo in the interview but i don't know if he was saying that sandman is considered a giallo or if he was just talking about giallo if it was like a Uh, sequel to his other film giallo oh yeah so um that's the news dario is is working on a new film uh, it's got Iggy Pop for I don't know why reasons, and um, He's awesome. it's got it's got a script, and uh, they want people to pay for it because they somehow think that the fans will be able to um, add their own input and get the film made the way that they want to get the film made. Uh, I don't know, really, so if I believe that. What do you? What are your thoughts of this? So, so I mean, my question is why the first. Well, the first question I have is why is Dario making films? Um, oh wow! I haven't seen Dracula 3D. I don't know if anybody else has. I have not. Um, I gave up after the third Mother movie, which I didn't make it all the way through. Um, I should probably go back and watch it, but you know. Um, I was just thinking about this right before we started um, the podcast because I knew we were going to talk about it. And, you know, Dario, <clears throat> at the time when you look back at the films that he was that he made that are good, um, that are really good, he was doing something different. Um, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of um, charging forward and, and breaking new ground with, with filmmaking in Italy. And if you look at the films that he put out, I would say after Trauma, because Trauma is, is a good film, but again, it's it's um, it's nothing original. But after Trauma, if you look at The Card Player and you look at uh, Sleepless and you look at, uh, what is it, Phantom of the Opera and uh, Giallo, it seems like he's one step behind now instead of being kind of one step forward. <clears throat> well, he's doing See, what he did. I think it's it seems to me like he's trying to be cool and he thinks he's cool, but... 
he's not cool anymore. To me, and it like, kind of sounds like he's like the old man that people are telling him that this is cool and they're telling him that he should do this. I feel like this wasn't his idea. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right, Eric. It's probably like that, and and nobody wants to tell him that, you know, his films aren't good anymore. Like I'm sure that he's still probably a very technically skilled director, um, mm. but I don't know that. You know, it seems like he's contributing to these stories and has these great ideas about what he thinks everyone's gonna like, um, and maybe nobody has the heart to tell him that. You know, these are bad ideas. Well, I have a. <clears throat> weird little theory about um, like when he started like a lot of his he's been said that a, a lot of his ideas came from his own nightmares and maybe he's just not as fucked up of a person as he was and it hurts his art that could you know? be he, he may have matured to a certain you know to a certain um, extent and that's affected his inspiration. I think probably Asia or Asia had something to do with um, the way that his career has gone. He mentions in that in that uh, interview that uh, he said, you know, after six films of uh, of with Asia or Asia, I'm I'm kind of relieved to be doing one without her. So um, he's got his know, freedom. He, he certainly he certainly helped to kind of jumpstart her career for sure and she's yeah. pretty successful um so maybe that's really what you know a lot of this was about was just you know springboarding asia's career on a but, completely different note she was in land of the dead right yes was she she was right yeah so, I think so. and she's in demons too she's in demons right. too right and those movies are almost the exact same movie it's really <laughs> bizarre I just put that together the other day and thought it was a weird little tap and stance. I haven't seen either one of those films in a long time, so I can't remember what they're about. Land of the Dead is like the zombies get really there's, smart. Well, there's like a something a giant high rise where all the rich people are safe in from the zombies. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> and in Demons 2... There's a similar building that keeps everyone safe from the demons that might be able to get out of the forbidden zone or whatever. Right. And Critters 3. There you go. See? Yeah. It, it all comes full circle. Mm -hmm. um, but back to this. I didn't mean to interrupt you guys there. Or, yeah, I did it. I did mean to, but I didn't mean for it to. Take you feel it. bad about it. I feel awful about it now. Right. Like, um, I don't know. Like you know, like what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like if you take the card player for example. When that movie came out in America, we were about four or five years into the whole online poker playing phenomenon, and Dario decided to make a movie about it. Um, and then if you look at you know Dracula 3D in 2012, you know how long have we been doing the vampire? thing now how long has the vampire thing been popular in america with twilights and all the other stuff going on so i don't know it seems to me like maybe he's like i said a couple of steps behind but you know like eric was saying no one's telling him that he's behind and he still thinks he's kind of doing these new and and 
and innovative things with his films. I don't know. With Dracula, I think, too, it might just be a thing where he wanted to make a Dracula movie, and he might have always wanted to make a Dracula movie but was never given the opportunity to. I think his biggest problem is budgets and probably shooting schedules and um, cinematographers. Right, he's not going to get very much out of crowdfunding in any of those arenas, right? Well, here's the thing. I have a love-hate relationship with this, but it's like, if you guys recall, um, a while back, Spike Lee was crowdfunding for a movie, right? Spike Lee, yeah, yeah. And to be honest... Um, that was the first, I don't remember what it's called now, but at the time I did, but I didn't even know he was still making movies because that's not anything that I run out to go see. So for me, I think people like the bigger people do crowdfunding more so just as free publicity. They're going to get money put into their accounts, which is great, but more so it's a form of advertising. Because now right. all your fans are out there advertising it. Um, I w- will put money on that this movie that Argento is doing is probably going to be the most popular movie of his out of the last, like, maybe five or six. Just because of the attention it's going to get while it's getting made. From okay. just the fans. Even if everyone's going, this is probably going to be crap. This is probably going to be crap. But the thing is that people are going to be talking about it. Yeah. So it's just publicity. He probably already has the funding for it. Okay, it's very close. Yeah. So it's like even if he didn't have the crowdfunding money, he probably already had the money for it. This is just to advertise it. This well, is just it, to get people into it. Doesn't it say on the crowdfunding site that he's looking for like one hundred and sixty thousand dollars or something? I think I so. no it was idea. like yeah, it was around like so a, that's, I thought it was a quarter million. So that I mean, that's clearly not enough for an Argento movie. Absolutely not. His goal. <laughs> yeah, it, it says it says on the site that the goal is one hundred and sixty-five thousand. Oh, so, okay. I mean, I don't know. Is that enough for an Argento no, movie? No, it's not at all. This is. I swear to God, this is just something to get people interested in it. Yeah. Because there was that uh, Sylvester Stallone movie that was crowdfunded, and in the video they were showing footage from the fucking movie. So okay. why the fuck are you crowdfunding if you already have the movie fucking shot? It's just for publicity. I mean, he does seem genuine about getting the fans involved just from that interview and from other <clears throat> interviews I've read about it. He does seem like he's really, now that I don't know if it was explained to him what this is or if he actually stumbled upon the idea on his own, but uh, just putting his films themselves aside. I feel like the process itself he, he feels very excited about. And the perks are kind of interesting, I think, for it being a crowdfunded movie. Um, more so than other f- directors like a Rob Zombie or someone else who's doing it. And, um, yeah, I, the money itself, obviously, it doesn't look like it would be enough. Even though I know that the Italian film industry is pretty in a pretty bad state right now. Um, I think any money he can get is probably going to be helpful. So... I think there's definitely more pros than cons to it in his case. Yeah. I mean, with right. with so many people going to it, it's kind of oversaturating it, unfortunately. So, you know, we don't have all kinds of disposable income we can just throw to all these filmmakers. So we have to kind of pick and choose who we'd want to support. And 
do we trust Argento now? I don't know. Well, um, one thing that was kind of interesting, um, probably about a month ago, um, Maddie, who is on our uh, Facebook group, who did that um, short movie. Oh, yeah. Um, he wrote Argento like on Facebook or something and was just like, hey, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And Argento wrote him back. And he's like, hey, I'm so glad, you know, you're making movies or whatever. Um, I'm going to be doing this new movie called The Sandman. Um, when things start happening for it, I'll let you know. So, I mean, he's, like, communicating with fans. like, uh-huh. And he's probably a little irritated with the film business, yeah. like the people that pull the strings. But I think it's cool if that was really him writing him, which it sounded like it was. Um, although it was in English, so I don't know. But it was um, a broken English. <clears throat> yeah, I was like, "Hey, <laughs> yo!" Um, but no, it, it's it's neat. It's neat that he's yeah. doing it. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see what comes out of it. I do think it's kind of funny how they're like have a say in how this film gets shot or give us ideas for what you think should be done. And it's like, well, when you've got sixty thousand people doing that, how can you really? <laughs> How can they really have that much say? I don't know. That's another thing about crowdfunding that kind of confuses me. But um, I guess do what you will with it. Yeah, and, and Eric, you're probably right about maybe you know if you if you can if you can if you can make some guesses or assumptions that uh, maybe Argento, you know, maybe he's not fully aware of what the whole you know crowdfunding phenomenon is all about. Maybe, you know, some of the producers said, look, um, we're going to put this project into crowdfunding. Um, it'll be a great way to publicize the website. Uh, you'll get a chance to communicate with the fans and it'll allow them to communicate with you and give you ideas. Maybe, you know, um, maybe they didn't tell him all of that. Maybe they only told him some of that. And so maybe he's got some some other people that are kind of um, – you know, run, running the whole show, the crowdfunding thing, and just kind of, you know, filtering the information before they give it to him. I don't know. Right. Can you guys hear my neighbor with the black lung outside? Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at that. <laughs> He's sneaking up on you. This is fucking just one of those days, dude. I'm sorry, everybody. It's loud over here. Maybe he's the one that wrecked your garbage disposal. Maybe... He's the one who is putting all the money into Argento's movie. Maybe. It could be. Bring it back around. <clears throat> so, um, with that, um, what else is going on? Ooh. Not a whole heck of a lot. Let's Winter is coming. Let's talk about 100 years of horror. <gasps> <laughs> that old... That old bitch... Uh, Paul and Chain, I was about to say it didn't really make sense the podcast but um, the copies have arrived at my door of the physical copies of the it's kind of confusing to some people like what, what what's on a DVD if it's a podcast but basically the the largest thing I could find physically to store 100 episodes of a show on was your penis um, other than yes right that um and it, it was something I wanted to include because it would, it would allow me to put a little artwork on it, a little, you know, snazz it up a little bit. And so I have those available. 
limited run. I'm probably not going to order anymore. I think I have about 30, and I've sold a few. I just got an email tonight that I got another one, so nice. it's actually it's working. Um, and it's not, I mean, I feel weird selling a podcast because it's not, you know, there's not really a big market for it, and there's so many that are free, but it's, it's not that I'm selling it because I'm trying to make a whole lot of money. I'm not crowdsourcing for anything, but I'm just uh, trying to recoup the cost of printing these because that wasn't cheap, and then and then uh, and you're taking some of the it cost down. Of, yeah, I took all the episodes down, so I want to yeah. still have it available for people to listen to, while I don't have to pay for it to be hosted on the on the internet. So you Very can cool. you can order it physically if you like to have, like I say, if you like to put something up on the shelf, if you like to have something to look at. It has the, all the episodes listed in the themes that we cover that I cover. I say we all the time because I'm thinking about Lester, but oh yeah. Yeah, uh, he's back in six feet under, so he's resting. So, um, otherwise, there are digital. There's a digital version available as well. So, if you get either way at a hundred years of horror.com. Nice. Very cool. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, speaking of entrepreneurs, and speaking of um, who makes crappy vampire stuff anymore, um, my new book, Black Market Blood Drive Santa Ana, is available for pre-order on Amazon. It comes out November 30th. Oh, you're doing pre-orders now. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting legit. That's the big time. Yeah. <clears throat> Look out. And on top right. of that, if you are in the Los Angeles area um, this weekend... Um, my band is playing at the world famous Whiskey A Go Go with Wednesday 13, who was in the Murder Dolls and Frankenstein Drag Queens and all that fun stuff. So it will be a fun evening. That's pretty oh, huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's pretty That's fun. Ding dong. Like ding dongs. <laughs> Very excited. So if you want um, to come, I have some tickets left, and you get a free CD if you buy a ticket from this guy, me. <clears throat> yeah, so it'll be a, a blast. That's all my updates. Great. Let's hear it from Chris. Um, I don't really have much of an update. Uh, I How are your Eagles the- doing? Oh, uh, they won again, so I got free coffee this morning. I didn't even <laughs> – um, here's the funny story. I didn't even think to check uh, whether they won or not because, I mean, the backstory is that I used to really like watching football uh, before I had kids, um, and now I don't really get time to watch very much football anymore. I hear uh, But I'm a, I'm a New York Giants fan because I'm from central Jersey. Uh, but when I moved to Philly uh, – <clears throat> they couldn't convert me over until they started giving me free coffee whenever they won. So, um, now I'm a big Eagles fan because I like free coffee. So this morning I went to Dunkin' Donuts simply because I was hungry and I didn't have any breakfast. And as I'm in line, I went to check to see on my app, cause that's where you get the coupons, the Dunkin' Donuts app. Uh, I went to go check to see if, uh, there was a coupon for what I was getting. And then I got the coupon that said, Hey, free coffee, Eagles win. So it was a complete and total surprise this morning, and uh, I was very happy about it. It was it was uh, a pleasant surprise. Nice. Um, they blew it out kind of like my Packers did. Did they? Your Again, Packers. I don't even know. <laughs> if, if, you're, 
if you if you follow football and you're a Giants fan, you know that there's another reason why I'm not watching any yeah. football this year because yeah. they're just doing terribly. But um, yeah, no, I don't have any good updates. Um, World of Warcraft new uh, expansion comes out in two days, um, so I'll be trying my best to um, pull myself away from the computer uh, as many times as possible because. It'll just be a magnet pulling me back uh, for the next month or so. Um, They're opening up uh, 10 new levels uh, for the game. So it's it's exciting. I haven't played in like two years, so I'm excited to play it a little bit. um, I guess we'll see you on episode 50. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Hopefully we'll continue to um, pick films that I've already um, scored so I won't have to watch them. Um, (laughs) Yeah. What else? I've got I got my iPhone six. I love it. Oh um, it's unbelievable. I didn't get the plus because I thought the plus was too big for a phone. Um, but uh, watching films on the six is just unbelievably great. So uh, I I got it for you guys. I didn't get it for me. Uh, I feel that what are you uh, gonna tell yourself? I really needed to get a bigger screen in order to do justice to the films that we're reviewing here on the podcast and on my website and. Uh, I don't know. No, that makes sense <laughs> now because there's times when you uh, aren't sure who somebody is in a scene, and and <laughs> we'll be talking, and you're like, oh yeah, and then some guy, blah 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 blah, and I'm like, oh no, that was what's his name, and you're like, oh was it? I didn't know, and it's probably because you've been watching on a little tiny screen on a train, hiding your pervert stuff from the other train people, <laughs> huh? Well, the funny part is that that just happened with this film, and I think you know that already. Uh, <laughs> which is why you're being coy and, and mentioning it as if you hadn't known that. But um, interestingly enough, for this film, uh, I was very bored at work. There was nothing to do. So I hooked my phone up to my computer and through iTunes, I was able to uh, watch the film uh, on my large screen. So I really don't have the excuse of even having the smaller screen uh, for this film, because I watched most of it on a on a pretty big display, uh, and took copious notes. Um, but again, when we get into it, I really can't imagine why I, I I missed uh, that information um, in that one scene. But we'll get to it later. Anyway, what? I, I'm what? watching the music time for in the background right now. Sorry. Time for a sound bite. We need a sound bite. Break, break the, there you go. There it is. <laughs> Um, and in other news, I'm kicking Eric's ass in fantasy wrestling. So, uh, everything's good. Wrestling is already a fantasy. So I, I was going to say, isn't fantasy wrestling redundant? Oh my God. That's so amazing. (laughs) All you got to do is pick who basically wins every single time in a predetermined environment. Oh, it's just, it's so easy. Isn't it, sir? It is. Yeah. <clears throat> well anyway that was good yeah. um you want to start doing our show now why not yeah yep. hit that record button creep <laughs> okay right there <laughs> hang on a second there we go my neighbors are trying to get me to come over and eat soup well you can't so I mean, sorry okay it's fun we're back <laughs> For as fun as this film would be to discuss, you can't turn down soup. Well, tonight I'm gonna. 
because there is some stuff we got to talk about. And these things include George Hilton's face as he's trying to look interested in what other people are saying to him and a bunch of awesome lamps. So, Eric, take it. All right. We're talking about My Dear Killer from 1972. And the plot is this. A detective starts investigating a murder, and uh, he realizes that there's more murders. Yeah. Fucking hell. See, yeah, I the knew that there was an easier way to describe what was going on in that movie. Thank you, <laughs> Eric. Oh, sure. That's what I'm here for. <clears throat> no, so basically, yes. Synopsis. Right. Uh, I think it's way better than what IMDb has. <laughs> but... Um, in all seriousness, of course, George Hilton plays the uh, the detective, and yes, he does have a mustache in this one. Um, so, if that's what you're looking for, here he is. And I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to tackle this one because, like you said, it's really all over the place. Well, at first, it starts very straightforward, and it's kind of interesting because, unlike other Giallo films that we've watched. There aren't all these different subplots interweaving in and uh, muddling things up for quite a long time until you get towards the end and they start re- uh, introducing all these different red herrings. So um, I guess it's like they shot half the movie and said, hey, we forgot the subplot. Uh-huh. Let's throw yeah. seven in right now. Go. Yeah. <clears throat> so basically what it is is, um, yeah, a, an insurance adjuster gets killed uh, while trying to. <clears throat> I guess drag the lake or pull something out of the lake and the way he gets killed is by this dredger coming down and picking him up by the head when he thought it was going into the lake. Awesome. And uh, <laughs> I mean this is all before the credits so this is one of the greatest you know jelly openings ever according to some people and maybe even myself. I really I agree. dug it. <laughs> um, it doesn't really follow this formula uh, for the rest of the film. Um the kills are still pretty cool in it. Uh, I guess maybe just one other kill, which we'll get to. But uh, for the most part, it's it's got this strong opening. And then we suddenly realize that the person that killed him was actually possibly hired by someone else because they find his dead body hanging in a barn somewhere. And, uh, of course, George Hilton right away knows. He saw right through not, that shit. Right. I actually was expecting that, too, when I saw the way he was hanging. I'm like, George is going to say that this was a murder. Uh, it was kind of funny, though, that he would just grab the dead body's foot and swing him. It's like, I don't know, isn't that, like, a no-no with, like, a dead body? Is, don't you want to, like, not touch anything? I don't know. Yeah, right. George Especially Hilton if... didn't seem very concerned with prints. He, he no, was he very touchy with stuff. Yeah, he wasn't by the book at all. <laughs> he was doing so it kind of follows, yeah, it follows basic plot where and we can talk about specific points as um later on i just wanted to run through real quickly that it basically follows george hilton as he's trying to figure out why this man would have been murdered who had killed someone else and he peels back these different layers and eventually finds that there's this uh family uh i guess you sound so sinister i know i'm trying to <laughs> trying to make this sound interesting <clears throat> you're doing good but, <laughs> Yeah, there's this uh, plot of this family involved um, with the death of a young girl, and uh, the the 
parents did not go to the police right away. They tried to pay off a large ransom. So apparently the parents uh, knew something was going on within the family as well. And this is where all those red herrings we were talking about start getting introduced that were involved with this family because they were pretty well off. So you got the different people coming in from all these different dark corners. And uh, George seems to have his finger on the pulse of it all, though, throughout the, throughout the whole film. He seems very calm and collected as he's going through it, even though he's not the same way with his lover, Dr. Anna. He's a, he's quite a different animal when he gets together with her. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> So that's basically, that's the they? basic plot. He he uncovers a murder within a murder. This you know, <clears throat> very Agatha Christie type style story, and uh, in the end he gets them all together in a room, just like one of those murder mysteries, and uncovers the killer. Like fucking um, Inspector Cluzo. Right, but of course, so many other things happen in this film, and I know you guys are dying to talk about it a little bit. I feel um, like I know a little girl in a bunker right now. You feel like a, a little girl model <laughs> posing for no, but that Inyama. was shocking. That was like I was not okay with that. I was like, uh... I know it was. It was one of these where it's okay. They're tackling the, <clears throat> the death of a child, which we've covered a couple times, and you guys have heard how uncomfortable those films can be for for parents. But in this one, I felt like they were tackling it, you know, with some class, with some style, and you know, they weren't exploiting it to a you know for about five minutes. Extent. And then, <laughs> then all of a sudden, the prepubescent girl comes walking in, in the middle of this inquisition, and just out of nowhere. And you kind of wonder why or how that scene would have been included. I, I mean, it was very innocent, but at the same time, it was not something you want to be watching on your iPhone on a it train. It was, but the thing was, was yeah, right. it was, <laughs> it was put in there to make that guy look bad. You know right. what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And but besides that, the like dismembered baby sculpture with the little girl's picture in the middle of it. That was a little fucking weird. Oh yeah. He was pretty avant-garde in his art. Yeah. Let's say that. So yeah, let's, I guess we can talk a little bit about this, uh, this family affair, this family murder plot. Um, very intricate involves a lot of different people. And I know Chris, you're kind of the plot expert on this one. As you said, you broke it down, and you also said that in your Jello score review for the for the film. Are you able to keep track of all these characters? Are you who, who are we yeah, talking about? Yeah, um, you know, third time through, um, I think third time, maybe even fourth time uh, through this film today, and um, you know, I can give you my opinion on whether I like the film or not in a separate um, dissertation. But basically. Um, one of the things that I like about the film beyond anything else is the fact that it's almost like, uh, it's almost like a challenge to keep up with everything. Uh, now clearly there are a lot of, um, inconsistencies with things. Um, but we're kind of used to that with these types of films anyway, so... Um, I kind of look past most of that in, in an effort to just kind of uh, that I, th- I thought it was really a challenge for me to try to keep everybody's name straight and yeah. try to try to understand who was doing what. Now, I mean, the disclaimer that we have to throw out there for anybody listening to the podcast is, you know, um, you really can't listen to any more of this podcast 
Uh, I mean, this goes for just about all of the podcasts that we do, but for sure with this one, you have to watch this film before you listen to us talk about it because um, there's so much going on here. Um, And it starts out, I think, you know, Eric's got a great point where it starts out... um, it starts out with a really show-stopping, you know, introduction, uh, you know, opening scene, um, and then we never really get another scene that has quite that amount of impact. Uh, you know, you could say that uh, the the school teacher's death uh, was pretty in, was was pretty dramatic as well, but um, yeah. nothing that compared to the dredger. Um, but I mean, basically. It, Without even getting into the details, I'm looking through my notes and we have Paradisi, who's George Hilton's character. We also have, no, I'm sorry, Peretti. Peretti is George Hilton's character, and Paradisi is the insurance adjuster. Um, From there, we have, I don't know the, I didn't write the name of the guy who drove the dredger because he never really amounts to anything. It was Mario something. Yeah, it was one name I didn't really have to remember. Yeah. But then you have Luigi Mattia and... Uh, I was going to say, I, is, I remember uh, there was a Mario and a Luigi in the movie. <laughs> and then Princess Peach with yeah. Mario Brother. <laughs> phone number funny? on the wall. Yeah. And, one, and the woman who... Mattia is... Um, and then you have the Moroni family. You have Stefania, and you have um, Eleonora. And this is one of the things I noticed. There's a scene where um, George Hilton uh, Peretti is looking at the... Um, it, okay, maybe we can answer this question. Maybe we can talk about this one right away. I, The scene where Peretti is talking to the guy at the head of the insurance company about Paradisi and about the Moroni case... I think the first time through and the second time through, I thought that that was a, a police inspector person and not an insurance person. I don't know why I got that in my head. I got it in my head that um, Paradisi used to be a cop and then quit the force to be an insurance adjuster. I don't know why that happened to me. But I guess the question is, at the end of that scene, he's given a case file for um the morosi case a moroni the moroni case yeah yeah and um it's got a list of all the people who were questioned and it almost is like well why would the insurance company have this information it sounds more like that this was a police report but at any rate it lists rita moroni uh with her maiden name is uh canavese which is uh the also the last name of the guy who runs the the fa- the uh, the transport business, who's got the really good haircut. Um, but I don't know why her name is listed as Rita, um, on, in the film when it's El- Eleonora when they re- they refer to her as Eleonora later on. So that to make things even more complicated, um, you've got some people that they that they refer to as the wife of or the brother of or the brother-in-law of. Yeah. Then you have the baby. They keep talking about the baby. Then you have Eleonora, who, Eleonora, who's also known as Rita. Then you have um, Canavese, which if you're not paying close attention, you think that that's somebody's first name, but that's really his last name. And then um, Moroni is the last name of the family. 
Uh, you also have um, this other guy, the uh, the um, the artist. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Beniamino. And it looks like he might have been another brother of Alessandro. So anyway, Alessandro, the, the whole thing is that um, Paradisi is investigating this murder as a uh, private investigator. Uh, originally investigating for insurance, um, I guess, as an insurance adjuster, but I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't understand the whole... like. The, he, the was, reason he was why... hired to, I mean, he was the insurance adjuster to make sure that the life insurance policy went to the right person or something like that, because the insurance policy on the dad was supposed to go to the daughter, but they were both found at the same time dead. So right. they had to figure out a way to make it go to either the mom or whoever's taking care of the mom, which ended up being um, stuck up bitch and wooden hand guy. So um, I don't remember what their names are. But, she uh, doesn't have a name. I don't think they ever gave her a name, but it's Oliviero. That's the that's the wooden hand guy. His name's Oliviero Moroni. Is so, his wife's name Rita? Or is Rita definitely um, crazy bitch in the flower dress? I don't know, because the, that's a good question. Because it says that Rita's maiden name is Canavese. And um, when when um, when George Hilton is talking to the artist, they talk about how um, uh, Eleonora is trying to separate from Alessandro, and she's backed up by her brother-in-law or her brother to try to get money out of Alessandro in, in exchange for granting custody of Stefania. Which is, I mean, it's just like the plot is so so outrageously um like it's such a giant maze of, of yeah it's unnecessarily so and yeah. it's totally unnecessary yeah right. it it reminds me of um it reminds me of film noir um like if you if you if you you know it reminds me of the big sleep with like three thousand different characters and who they all know and who they all are related to and so on and so forth um and you know to 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 build on that a little bit, the thing that I also noticed about this, and, and it is a, a good giallo in, in respect to what is a giallo, but, you know, again, it, it's got a lot of police procedural involved in it, but I yeah. think it's got some more to it, too, because um, one of the things that, that for me, um, characterizes film noir is that most of the time you're following the main detective, whoever he is, as the viewer. Um, you don't really get much insight into what's going on uh, other than what, you know, the, the, the detective is finding out. So you kind of find out stuff at the same time that he finds out. And this kind of this film is kind of like that. You know, the, the thing this, the film is plot is really convoluted and you're almost kind of when you go through it, you kind of give up uh, at towards the end and say, well, you know, he's following along so he's obviously going to give us this big explanation at the end um so you know i i think that that's partly you know the film focuses more on uh peretti than anybody else it's kind of like it, it was it was a little bit of a subplot but you could tell like you know that he he took his job very seriously you could also tell that he was kind of put off by the fact that every time he thinks he's close 
to another uh, clue, somebody gets killed and he's taking kind of responsibility, he's taking it to heart and it's affecting his marriage and, or, or his relationship with this girl. And, um, and so he finally does save somebody and it's the, the old lady at the end. Um, she does, doesn't get killed by the killer who, who comes to get the mirror. Um, and then he gets the mirror and he has his big um, kind of soliloquy at the end uh, where he he kind of reveals who the killer is to all the people, but it, you know it, it's not just hey I'm here uh, I I'm the detective and I'm going to give you the information. You could tell that you know when he did his final speech that there was a lot of like emotion and like a lot of like he he was he was kind of he he was committed to this whole thing. Now it had become a little bit personal for him. At the end, when he was explaining everything to the to the group, um, the way the way that he talked about you know how he led up to the end and how he got to the end and, and figured out who it was, you could see you could see that there was some. It you was, know, he was so masturbatory, though, dude. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like I'm awesome. Everyone, listen to me talk. Uh, well, it started when he was like to figure out where we are we have to start at the beginning so he did that whole exposition and then when he got finished with that then he got everyone together and did it basically all over again so it was like the last 20 minutes were just padding time to explain the case to us over and over which i appreciated because i was very confused right <laughs> <inside the time. laughs> exactly uh, and i was still confused when he was done and when all that ruckus happened which i won't go into too much until we're ready to discuss that ending, but yeah. that didn't help matters at all, even though it was supposed to. <clears throat> well, well I mean, you know, and the other thing that's going on in here is you've got, it seems to me that you've got multiple, uh, you've got multiple instances of bribery and blackmailing going on. Um, you know, the uh, Paradisi is blackmailing um, Ele- Eleonora and the other guy because they're blackmailing Alessandro for custody and you know when you try to follow this there's there's a scene where there's a scene where uh, Peretti is, is in the office with a um, nice haircut guy and he asks him a question and and he comes back and gives him this answer that makes absolutely no sense and then they come back and Peretti goes, okay, I see what you mean. And I'm like, you do? I, I, how the hell do you see? How did you even follow that? Like, it it was almost like a slap in the face when he said, I see what you mean. I thought he was almost going to be like, he was being sarcastic about it. But um, so it's, yeah, I, I don't know how much of the subplot and the sub subplot is, um, could be could be trimmed out and still make the the movie effective i thought it was i i thought that again i guess going back to i've been talking a lot and going around in circles but i think my point about this film is that you know the plot is really the centerpiece to the whole film um whereas with most jolly um the plot really doesn't make that much of a difference it's the theme it's the mood it's the the set pieces it's the murder pieces and, and it's partly the plot too uh, but this one was all about the plot. It was kind of like you almost didn't pay attention to 
what the camera visuals were doing and what the set designs and the costumes were all about. And, you know, clearly the film is dark and it's drab and it's dreary. There's no colors in it at all. Um, other than the bright green dredger, which I don't know where the hell you get a bright green dredger from. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, a, a lot of it, a lot of the plot was extra probably could have been trimmed out some of it was was put in there purposely to confuse you know the people watching it just you know is it him is it because pr- pretty much everybody in the film is a suspect um at least in the moroni family and when you finally find out who the killer is um it's not like there was a lot of evidence pointing in one direction it was more like it could have been anybody and when you have a, a movie where you have five or six suspects and it could have been anybody and you finally reveal who it is the motive is kind of thin just like if you remember in cat and nine tales um there was so many suspects on who was it that originally stole the information out of the institute and then went on went on the murders to clear their name or to to keep their silence and it turns out to be the guy who you know ended up testing positive for the yy XYY chromosome. Sorry but, for spoiling that one for you, folks. <laughs> yeah, we covered this one already. You guys did, anyway. But I didn't say who it was. It's okay. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, you know, like, in, in, in that film, it's the same thing. Like, once you know who that is, you're like, oh, okay, it's him. I wasn't even paying attention to him. So, I kind of felt that way about this one, too, when you get to the end. So, um, yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, I I found the 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 thing that made the film entertaining for me was trying to keep up, even though a lot of it is ridiculous. Um, I still kind of enjoyed, you know, kind of reveling in how ridiculous it all was, and uh, and that's kind of what makes me enjoy watching it more, you know, more than one time. But, well, that's what uh, anchored me about it because I, I finally felt like I was keeping up and that I was I did understand what was going on. You know, I was writing my notes. I was kind of reading about the film while it was going on in the background. And I'm like, I know what's going on here. I know who he's talking to. And I've seen this guy before and all that jazz. And then it just spirals out of control like the last <laughs> third of the movie. Well, I feel like a character in the movie. There's a scene where <clears throat> George Hilton is in the dark room with the two guys, and they're watch- they're looking at something, probably the kid's drawing or something like that. And George Hilton's talking a bunch about something, and he looks at like his boss, the older guy or whatever, who's asleep on the chair, and he hits him, <laughs> and he's like, "Yes, yes, I agree exactly." And uh, that's how I felt. Like this whole thing, it was like, "Sure, dude, whatever." Like, I, I'm right. You're losing me. Just sure, George Hilton, you're the boss. Make it. That's happen. funny because he was the greatest character in the entire film. So <laughs> that's you. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. Like, there's there's stuff that I have, um, like strong issues with, but we can't talk about it without um, doing the end. So, um, Eric, do you want to take us through the... Well, the... let me, um, if I can, I have a couple of questions that, um, t- interesting things to talk about before we get to the end. Um, one of the big ones was, um, when Mrs. Paradisi is still alive, 
Um, and she gets a call from the post office saying, uh, your husband has a post office box. And then she says, well, maybe that key that I found will fit in that box. And she calls the police office, you know, the police office to tell them. And the guy says, uh, go ahead and, uh, check it out. And then if you find anything interesting, bring it to us. Um, and I'm thinking the last person that had the key was Peretti, uh, not her. But is so, that definitely what that key was for? Yes. Okay. I think so. Because she said at the end of the phone call, she calls the police and she says, I'm wondering if if the key that I gave to Inspector Peretti is what will open that box. And the, and the lieutenant says something like, you know, um, why don't you give it a try? So, I mean, it's just a continuity thing, but I'm wondering, you know, are we supposed to assume that she went to the police station, got the key back, and then went to the box? Because if that happened... I don't think they point, would have been following her. They're not going right, to follow Freddy her. Freddie would, would, would have said, no, 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 don't go do that. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I guess that's clearly a, um, an inconsistency there. I, I also wanted to ask, uh, and maybe we can ask our Italian correspondent, um, I always consider the police chief to be the big guy, like to be the head guy, right? Um, but Peretti is telling him what to do constantly. Yeah. So I don't understand why the inspector, I mean, it's almost like maybe the inspector is like the FBI and the FBI comes in and the local police have to, have to do what they say. It is weird. So, and I, uh, I also want to ask our foreign correspondent if they, if he could, uh, um, let us in on phone booth tokens because that yeah was, i was gonna ask that too that's bizarre because he what, goes and he store? asks for uh he goes to the candy store and asks for a jetone or a jetoni yeah. and well, uh i i googled that close that tells me it's a, it's a telephone token well so. like the same thing like when he goes when the killer goes into the phone booth and puts the money in the phone booth pushes the button gets a coin puts it in the phone like right. that was just like wow, that's hardcore. They did that at the if you remember the opening scene in the case of the Bloody Iris, yeah. it was the same thing. So that's clearly the way that payphones worked back then. I wonder if it's like, well, maybe you've got a whole bunch of really small coins, and you could put all those in, and we'll give you the you know only one kind of coin works the phone. That's ridiculous. You know they made all the phones the same way; they work off the same kind of t- token. But then the other thing I noticed, too, is that when he called um, Adele or Adele or Adelaide, she answered the phone before he put the coin in. Well, no, the coin sits there. And if no one answers, you get your coin back. You get your coin back. Okay. Yeah. But um, because this is before um, the widespread use of answering machines, apparently, because um, the instructions that he had to sit through the goddamn answering machine took forever <laughs> yeah i mean do you guys remember i don't know if you're as old as i am but i remember when my father got an answering machine it was this gigantic thing yeah. with cassette tapes in it yeah and you had to tell everybody please wait for the tone before you leave your message because um <laughs> people you're... would like people would start talking yeah <laughs> as soon as it as soon as the the, the person on, as soon as the recording voice on the recording stop they would start talking and then you'd go and you'd listen to the message and it would go beep and then you'd hear okay okay bye 
And my grandma, my grandma used to leave us messages, and they would always start off with, "And the, damn it, this stupid, god damn, dang it!" And she'd like set the phone down. It was awesome. My my friend's mother used to call his voicemail, or like call his phone, like a cell phone, and the voicemail would pick up, and she would say, "Pick up, please. I know you're there." You know, like. We, what you would do if you thought people were screening calls on an answering yeah. machine, but with voicemail instead. So, yeah, it's really strange. But yeah, that, I, I wonder if that's like considered it, Dr. Anna, if Dr. Anna was considered to be super privileged because she had this telephone recording device and, you know, you yeah, to be she, she was just faking it. She was faking upper crust. it. That's all. <laughs> she was. <laughs> I wonder how many times you've been doing this when I got that damn machine. The funniest thing about their relationship is, as long as they're not in the dining room, they have a great relationship. Right? They sit down at that table, and shit gets real. And then he storms off like a little bitch into the bedroom, and she follows him in there, and it's like, okay, let's make out now. It's yeah. just, oh, it's great. And, and Creep, one of the um, sound bites you have to put in the beginning is where he says, will you shut up? I need that kind of bullshit like I need a hole in the head. <laughs> the greatest, one of the greatest quotes He's such ever. a fucking asshole to her, dude. Yeah, he is. Like, he just jumps off the handle at her all the fucking time, dude. <laughs> it's fucking... He's weird. very stressed out from his job, okay? Yeah, he has to sit there and pretend like he likes hearing people talk. Like, those <laughs> shots, those, like, close-up shots of him with his head tilted, and then he'll, like, nod his head. It's like so rough, man. You look at that and they're like, fuck, he's probably so mad he has to be there right now. <clears throat> he could be at home screaming at his wife. He's like, I could be in a movie with Edwidge right now. And yeah. now I have to wear this mustache and nod my head. This is very tiresome. All right, so the one last question I have, and then we can give it to Eric to do the ending, was when they went to talk to... Um, the guy who was running the transportation company and Peretti looks outside and he sees the green dredger. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, was that it's just, just a, a show red herring? Yeah. Cause he knew where it was from. He knew all that shit. It was just like, Oh, he knows how to operate one of these. Obviously he has yeah. one right here. Uh, next okay. to all of these multicolored curtains that do not fit this man's character at all. <laughs> Whose office was, are we in? It was kind of like when they showed Benyamino with those uh, ivory statues after they had found a piece of it in the what was it, the teacher's hair? Yeah. And so the, I think it was another one of those props where it's trying to sway your opinion of who it could be. Not that, you know, the naked girl didn't do it enough. We had to throw well, the and then he got rid of the statues just so there yeah. wouldn't be anything like, oh, you like statues like this, a eh, pervy yep. boy? But um, Blue Eyebrow guy, um, the trash picker-upper guy, is the one who pulled him out of the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's his name? Oh, okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Uh... Maddie. Matea. Matea. 
Mattia. Mattia. Luigi Mattia. Luigi okay. Mattia. So the trash collector. He pulled all the ivory statues out of there, and that's why at the end he gets hit with one. Right? Didn't he get hit? Did, did yeah. he get hit with one? Yeah, but the Excellent. killer didn't know that he took those out. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Yeah, it's it's all just very. I think because wasn't he a, a red herring at, for a while too? Yeah, I love the yep. dubbing that they did over his voice. He was just so incredulous. Yeah, he was just trying <laughs> to get in that chick's panties. That would have been fun to to be the the English voice dub for that guy. I would have had a lot of fun with that. I think you would have killed just it. on edge all the time. That would have anyway. been great. Okay, so it's ending time. George Hilton standing in a room full of suspects holding a mirror like a douchebag. What happens? Okay, <laughs> thanks for setting me up. So yeah, how, how it leads to this is he's in the middle of one of those famous arguments with Anna and he looks to the wall of the bedroom, I believe, and sees you know that they had a mirror that's no longer up on the wall. She took it down and, and said, left. look at yourself, look at yourself. Yep. It's one of those... Um, those jelly, those wonderful jelly moments where something that seems so, you know, minuscule to the whole plot ends up becoming the whole reason, the whole way that George Hilton is able to uncover this. So she, yeah, she, you're right. She does take it off the wall, and he sees that it leaves behind this, um, I guess, this part of the wall that's a little bit lighter because you know light's not hitting it, so it's not as faded or anything like that. And then this reminds him back at the uh, shack where they found the bodies that there was something on the wall that resembled that and so he knew that the uh, objects that the trash collectors Luigi and his lovely maid were uh, picking up one of those happened to be a mirror and that's what he realized Stefania had thrown out the window and that's also what he realized was uh, our insurance adjuster turned amateur detective was looking for black that's what he was looking for in that water in that stagnant pond and so he goes and retrieves it and he apparently looks at it ahead of time before he lets us all in on it but he uh, gathers all the people together he's holding the mirror there he's saying in my hands you know I do have the killer and it's one of you obviously and uh, he this is after you know he has to go to their house to, to grab it. And this is where he's able to save the old woman and um, basically catch the killer in the act. And, and the killer scurries off, runs away before anyone else can be hurt. And now that he's in front of them, he uh, kind of goes in front of each person, puts their face in the mirror in this very dramatic, almost melodramatic way. Yeah, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I mean, in, in reality, if someone did this, this would be really kind of just strange and awkward, you would think. You're sitting in a room, and he's just putting a mirror in front of your face. It was like the thing when they made him touch the shit in the Petri dish. Yes, right. but not at all as, like, you know, <laughs> not at all like that. I mean, It, it was, was like that, that but nothing at all like that. It was, <laughs> it was like that in, like, how it was trying to build the suspense as to who is the killer, who is the thing. But at least in the thing, it made sense as to why they were doing that. Whereas here, it was just like, come on, man, just just tell us, you know. Quit beating around the bush here. 
Big reveal. Uh, he does. <laughs> he uh, does finally make that reveal, and all of a sudden the lights go out, and there's a struggle. There's some noises, and then when the lights come back on, they find a person kind of huddled in the in the corner, uh, crying, and then uh, they show right next to. A, uh, his body that the drawing was on the back of the mirror and it happened to be a man with a wooden hand that Stefania had drawn before chucking it out the window. Or no hand. And of course this leads us back to Oliviero the uh, uncle who appeared to be so you know loving he saved the brother in the war and all these other things and he treated Stefania you know like it was his own child. And now he turns out to be the one that tried to hold her up for some ransom money and then starved her to death. At least that's what we're led to believe. I know you guys have some different different. Well, we're led to believe this. a lot of things about this yeah. movie. Okay. So let's hear it. My biggest complaint is is that the guy with the wooden hand where his right hand should be is supposed to be the one who did all this stuff. And in every shot where the killer is doing something, he's using his right hand. When he's looking through the blinds, he opens them with his right hand. When he's attacking the girl with the saws, with his right hand. When he is strangling the girl at the post office, he's got to take her scarf and strangle her. You know? <clears throat> with two hands. Right. And um, wooden hands don't bend, yo. They're wooden. And... It's just like everything that, like when I was watching this, like I'm like, oh, well, he obviously can't be the guy because the killer's using his right hand kind of thing, you know? And in the beginning, you see the guy who is operating the dredger is, in fact, the guy who was hung because you see his wedding ring, you see his boots. It's obviously that guy. So I'm like, okay, so is he hiring people to go and do all this stuff? Because he obviously hired that guy to kill that dude. So, <clears throat> and then you start thinking about all this other shit. And it just gets muddled. Because it's almost like, well, are, is the whole family in on it? Mm -hmm. And he was just the ringleader? And all the sketchy members of the family were a part of it? In his little, like, flashback, like, when um, George Hilton's talking about, like, what happened when he went to deliver the money, it shows a bunch of dudes come out, beat him up, then the dad jumps out of the bushes and they beat the shit out of him and put him in the car and drive off, leaving Mr. Woodenhand guy on the side of the road. <clears throat> so it's like, okay, well, in his story there were a bunch of people, but there probably wasn't since he was the one who did it. But if there wasn't, who the fuck was the person with the black gloves doing all the fucking black glove shit? Doesn't make any sense, and that bothers the shit out of me. Yeah. It was either a really stupid continuity mistake, or they were being very clever and uh, trying to get you to focus on the hands. But when that's like one was... of those like high-tension things. You know? Oh, I know. Like, Which I absolutely bullshit. hate. Yeah, that that is actually a very good comparison. Um, didn't think about it before, but it's one of those. You there? Such a heavy oh, misdirection that it ends up just ruining the entire plot, ruins the movie. 
Sorry, I, I don't know if I... Did I cut out on you? Well, there was just uh, silence for a minute. But but that's my biggest beef with the movie, is that like there's this big, deep, in-depth story that's going. And then when they finally give you the killer, there's no possible way that that guy did it. So George Hilton like didn't really catch the guy, but he kind of did, because the guy confessed. But what the well, fuck was he confessing to? Yeah, when, when the killer was attacking that couple in their shanty house... The collectors i felt like we they intentionally showed us the face and i thought it was uh kind of i thought it looked a lot like him the guy from so, five dolls yep yep yeah brother-in-law what scene was that eric when towards he, the end after he had he a went he'd, thing yeah he killed luigi and then he was attacking uh the woman oh, okay. i felt like once you know george stepped in and saved her they showed him kind of in the shadows but i thought his face was clearly that of of canavese um mm. you know he's got a pretty recognizable face i thought and i thought it was him so I, I i'm kind of with you where i'm wondering if he's hiring these different people which would also be kind of a stretch because uh, why would everyone they were... one family kill people in the family yeah yeah without knowing that they were killing each other and <laughs> why know, didn't the little girl just fucking jump out the window like, I'm yeah. not trying to be a dick here, but fucking, if she's smart enough to draw open. a picture, and she was little, she could have fit through that crick. Well, that's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions, like, why didn't she, um... Yell for help. Well, first, yeah, first of all, if she was so close to the other house, somebody must have heard her, um, when, 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 uh, when Luigi saw the mirror come down the hill... Well, why didn't he say, hey, where did that come from? Let me go investigate. And then yeah. for the longest time, I was thinking, well, why didn't she just write, help me? I'm stuck up here. Because she's then, a little kid. Well, yeah, because Luigi or uh, Peretti says that she couldn't write a word, but she was a yeah. good she was a good drawer. So that one got explained away, but that was the only one that got explained. The away. other thing that I didn't understand was someone had taken her to the bunker before. Is that, yes. Like, and, and why the fuck? And, and Peretti, uh, he totally explains that one away. Like, he dismisses it completely. There's a scene where he's talking to the to the chief, and he says, you know, basically we know that Stefania had seen that the Matteo or the, the, uh, the freaking Matei house before. Why do I want? How, oh, Mattia had seen the Mattia house before. And then he says, who brought her there is a matter of conjecture. It's not, it's an impossible question. It's an, it's an impossible question. Really not. You go and you ask the people, Hey, did any of you guys ever take that kid there? Right. But I think (laughs) what he was, he was basically saying like, it doesn't matter why she had been there before. The, 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 The point is that she was there before and the, and what, and the next step from knowing that is that, um, Paradisi was trying to get this clue out of the swamp, you know. Like, in other words, he's like, you know, the you know, Paradisi already made the next step, which was to find out that or to figure out that there was a clue in the swamp, and he was looking for it. So, trying to figure out why Stefania had gone to that bunker previous to the time 
when she was dropped off there wasn't something he was going to pursue because he already knew that, you know, three steps later, you end up with something that's in the swamp and Paradisi had already figured that part out. So I think that's that's why it was never revealed. I, I think they made it easier for, you know, they, they came up with an excuse for why they didn't have to explain that part, basically. And that was a yeah. shit excuse, I think. I don't know. And then my other question is, they live in this beautiful house. Why the fuck does she want to live at that shit shack? Because wasn't the drawing like the house I want to live in? Yeah, that was the theme of the drawing, and that was that poor fucking kid. Really, yeah, other than maybe she wasn't a person of material means, and she just wanted to hang out with that cool oh, couple and collect things. Kid, she doesn't. Well, she she probably wanted to live there because they had they had um, hinted at the fact that the mother and father were always fighting, so. Maybe yep. she just wanted to live in a in a house that wasn't filled with fighting. But she didn't have that. She wouldn't have that beautiful dog with the big floppy ears. Right. She'd take him with. Yeah. I think. I, I wasn't. Like I thought and, it was kind of interesting how it, they brought the drawing aspect of it back to it, and that that's how she revealed who the killer was. But at the same time. It's like, is that all he's going to use? Is that the burden of proof? You know, is that not the burden of proof, but is that the proof he's going to use to? Well, he probably know. showed it to everybody so they would fucking go and confess because that wasn't enough to fucking hang somebody on. No, that's not. That's not even circumstantial. Evidence. And then why did he show it to the pervert? Yeah, he was. Like, he didn't very show shocked. it to anybody except that right. one guy. Yeah. Wasn't he the one that shut off the lights, or was did they cut to someone no. else's hand? I I originally thought it was, but it wasn't. I think it was the other okay. guy who pulled the plug on the lights. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess he ended up showing it to the artist guy last, and then George turned it over. Wow, I'm so glad one of you guys pointed out that that stick figure only had one hand, because I was fucking lost. I was really hoping you guys would be able to fucking seal this case for me. Uh, it was ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. And the whole, and the whole one-handed thing is only mentioned uh, in passing really quickly. Um, and if you aren't paying attention to that, when you see the picture at the end, you don't know why it means anything. So... Um, well, it kind of showed his hand. It was, it was framing the shot so that his hand was right above the drawing. But yeah, like you said, right. it would just look like a person's gloved hand next to a drawing. Yeah, and I mean, it was such a crude drawing. Like the, on the one hand, there was five finger stick hand, and on the other hand, it was just the end of the stump. But I mean, because uh -huh. it's a stick figure drawing, are we really supposed to be able to to infer that level of detail? From he had a, a stick necktie figure? and a sad face. It's right. obviously him. Didn't he Not have kind of crazy hair? <laughs> he had crazy hair. This bunker just cracks me up. Like, the whole the idea artist. with the bunker is just ridiculous. Well, I want to know, why would you go there to pay your respects anyway? Like, weren't they buried? Didn't they bury the the girl and her father in, like, you know, an appropriate place? Probably. That's where you would go. We'll have to ask think, Al. Right? Well, I know, like when people the get, like when there's like car accidents and stuff out here, they oh, hold sure. like little candlelight vigils where the accident yeah. happened. So I mean, I, cross on the highway. yeah, I mean, I could see how that it seems like weird as shit. 
like, in all honesty. Like morbid. Yeah, it's just weird. Especially since the chalk is still where the bodies were. Right, a year later. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a bunker. Why They don't have to clean it up. So that whole thing was weird. There was some... uh, There was uh, the... Paradisi's wife had a very nice leather coat. I enjoyed that a great deal. And um, the cool guy from Five Dolls had an awesome leather shirt on um, when he was being questioned in his office with the funny colored drapes. But um, those drapes kind of killed the fact that he had a cool shirt on. So um, Nobody had a coat on with patches on the elbows or shoulders. No. Right? No. Um, there were some great lamps at the Moroni house. One that looked like a giant phallic object. But, um, yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, I guess... Oh, am I talking about your crotch house. again? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> what? I wanted to ask, because I, I actually noticed something for once, and I was excited. Um, in the teacher's house, she had a very narrow dinner table. She did? Like, <laughs> who could eat on that? Well, I, these would be pumping I'm into each other. I that that was even her house. The, the style of it was very old lady, and it was full of stuff, and there's no way she could afford that on a teacher's salary. I'm just going to come out and say it. And then plus doing renovations to another part of the house, where there would just happen to be a weird circular saw. Yeah. And more importantly, who the fuck hangs a rubber glove to dry out the window that high up? Oh, I thought that was just kind of a, like a, a scare, like a, a gag or something. Well, how the hell would they get up there? There was no way for them to get up there. And she looked at him, and she's like, oh, shit, yeah, my rubber glove. Oh, yeah, I hung up my rubber glove. And then she apparently knew the killer intimately. Yeah, I guess I wanted to go back to that because I totally forgot when we were, since we were talking about it. But, yeah, she, it was one of those famous scenes in these movies where she opens the door. She's like, oh, hello. Point I of view absolutely shot. love that scene. I thought that was so... The, all the POV shit in that was... Yeah. I loved it. I thought that was so good. It was kind of... You know, it takes you a little bit out of reality when she's talking and replying to him, but you don't hear any of the responses back. But it's it's a cool scene. And then, yeah, she ends up in the that other end of the house and blood is sprayed everywhere. It's awesome. And even the Great. shot where the when Hilton's talking about it, and the shot of the killer holding the statue behind his hand. Mm-hmm. Awesome. It was just great. That was just... Yeah. Those scenes were really, really good. And the dredger scene was great. I did have a question, though. Like, There's apparently um, two different versions of this movie. One with brown titles that start at the beginning before anything happens. And then one where the red titles start right when the head and the body fall down onto the ground. Is there any actual differences in the two versions, do you guys know? I don't know. I have the ver- the version I have is the titles before anything else happens. Oh, really? I have the titles after. Yes, I do as well. So seems like we're talking about the same movie so i guess everything's on the up and up (laughs) it's not slaughter hotel part two yeah (laughs) did you guys also notice the lack of music in this yeah it's it's interesting because yeah it was what ennio morricone wrote it and then uh 
Nikolai did the actual comp- or the uh, uh, conducting. Conducting. There you go. I, was, I kept. I was hung up on composing, but yeah, he did the conducting. But so with these two masterminds, you know, it's it comes across as just kind of this very um, underlying theme. And there's a few parts where you can kind of hear the kids doing the la 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 parts, yeah. you know, that they like to do. But other right. than that, it's really just hangs out in the background and you don't really notice it at all. No sweeping epic score. No, and that first opening song reminded me a lot of um, Bird, The Crystal Plumage. Yeah, okay. But um, but yeah, there's like hardly any music in it. And this like wannabe Elizabeth Taylor chick that he's sleeping with is just like really weird. I don't yeah. know what to make of her and her weird pants that I don't know if they're cool or if it looks like she shit her white pants. <laughs> I can't place it. I can't figure it yeah, out. No. Depends on the day. Depends. Waka waka. Okay. But Chris, you like the guy that's like, I hope it's a boy. Yeah, right? I just, I, I just <laughs> like that. that. Was a funny. That was a funny line. Shall I call you at the usual number? Yeah. Okay. Because you're you're doing the sex. <laughs> so ridiculous, dude. <clears throat> I don't know. And here we are again. There's a, <clears throat> there's a lot of great lines from uh, the chief. I thought just his attitude towards the whole case. He just wanted to kind of pack things up and move along. He didn't want to linger on the case at all. He didn't want to drag the lake. He didn't want to, you know, do any of the stuff that Peretti wanted to do. But then, like you said, he ended up just giving in, caving in when he, you know, he just wanted to take a nap. So I, I really enjoyed his character. I thought he was a lot of fun and he helped, helped this movie out a lot. I think with his presence. Do you guys know what the Western was that she was watching? Wasn't it Django? I just I don't know. I just noticed it. Uh, I saw it somewhere on IMDb, and now I can't. Was it like a real big popular one? Because she's like yeah, yeah, I'm watching was, the shitty Western. Yeah, I think yeah, that was there the was thing. <clears throat> I saw it on IMDb message board or something that people were talking about. How could she say that it was a shitty Western? It's like they totally missed the joke. I think it was like an insight because the director of this, this was his only Giallo film, I think. Right. And he was mostly a spaghetti western guy. He was an assistant director to Sergio Leone. So he was more of that western type of guy, and I think he was maybe making a jab there. Hmm. But I do, th- yeah, I do think it was Django. I do. Um like how the guy who dubs George Hilton's voice seems to be the same guy in every George Hilton movie. Yeah, That makes me happy. I think that's pretty common, isn't it? They kind of attach the same guys together a lot? Or I guess I shouldn't say always the case. It seems to be the case. For these, the bigger ones. But I enjoy it when it happens. Does Edwidge have the same voice? No. No. She does not. I guess I'm not usually listening to her when she's talking. You're such no. a pervert. Hey, <laughs> I, what did I yeah. say? Yeah, there's a couple. There's a film where she. Um, there's a couple of films where she's supposed to be English, so the oh, dubbed-in yes. voice has got more of a British accent, and then 
there's other times when she doesn't have that. She has that more of that, like the voice that she has in Strip Nude or the voice that she has in um, Your Vice is a Locker Room sounds different than uh, Case of the Bloody Iris yeah. or All the Colors of the Dark, for example. <clears throat> yeah, and he fucking just hit him with the right hand. This well, is, I think you're watching. Just... Yeah, I have it on in the background. But yeah, he's he's beating up a uh, uh, blue eyebrow guy with the. Now he hit him with the left, but now it's let's in his right just, hand again. Let's just agree that this was a big family. I'm wondering cover. if they even knew how the movie was going to end. I don't think they did. And they just shot it, and then like, okay, who should the killer be? <laughs> uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's just kind of unfortunate that it ended that way just to kind of screw with us and in the end it just it took away from a film that i thought was really interesting was fun to watch um had a good straightforward uh fun exciting plot with some decent pacing up until it got to that last third or whatever then it just got way too muddy and that's why i like i said earlier it kind of pissed me off because i was actually really enjoying this movie the statue on the pillow that's covered in blood when they do the close-up of it that is fucking horrifying mm. it looks like a fucking zombie it's fucking scary as shit yeah <clears throat> but no i agree with you eric this movie for me started off really great had two amazing kill scenes in it uh-huh. and um as far as like the fashion and the cool set pieces go this didn't have that for me but there were some cool things once they got to the other house. But um, it just, I don't know. <clears throat> I wish I could, like, put my finger on it when it started to go weird. It might have been when he was talking to the help in the kitchen. That could be, for me, the moment when shit got weird. Yeah, I think for me it was when he was talking to Canavese at his place. I was like, another guy? Who is this? <laughs> you know, right? Just yeah, I think you're time. right. I think I think um, starting with the scene where they they um, get in touch with the two guys who are originally on the case, and they they do that flashback scene with Oliviero and Alessandro, and then they're driving in the car, the four of them, and the, I think it's the chief and Peretti and the two other guys from that were on the case yeah and then they say uh yeah go over and talk to this canavese guy that's kind of like where it started to get he's know? got money that he shouldn't have or some shit like that yeah, yeah I, th- I think as a viewer i think you're right eric i think that um you know you get to that point and you're like okay uh my brain cannot handle another characterization another witness or another suspect and now we have to see, you know, what's going on Especially there. Especially with like... him not getting any information, you know? Like, and right. he's such it's a shitty cop. Movie. Like, when he goes and talks to the pervert guy, he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, we got these statues. You know anything about that? No? Okay, I'm going to go. Goodbye. <laughs> it's like, you're horrible. Like, is that all you're going to do? Like, I don't know. It's just like, I felt like... He did his... shake out the jackets of um, oh for fuck's sake Paradisi yeah it's, for it's the squeeze the pants yep 
I've done laundry. I've done laundry. I know how that does not work like that. You got to put your hands in the pockets, my friend, or else you're going to wash a lighter or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) I've been there. Yeah. I don't think it helped that, you know, it went right to that that cannabis scene right after the, you know, the child porn scene. Yeah. Because it was such a shock to the system that you're, you know, you you need some time to reel it back in. And then then you find out he was with a 12 year old yeah it's like whew. then he's already on to the next guy he's talking to the next getting them another round of clues and it's like no i need time to you know adjust after what i just saw i need and i also need to make sure that i delete this off my computer before <laughs> <laughs> that scene that scene where uh the old lady um is like hold on let me go get it and he's waiting on the phone, and she, like, screams. And he's like, oh, my God, hello, are you there? And she's like, what are you yelling for? I dropped a glass. Comical. That was fun. Yeah. That was, like, a good icebreaker. Yeah. I, I yeah, like I mean, the there's... scene where, uh, where uh, Peretti is is uh, questioning um, Kenavese and uh, the big, like, um, uh, the, the the big like muscle guy comes in and tries to muscle him out of the desk. He's like, "Don't try it, Baldy. Gorillas always end up at the zoo." <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, George can be a tough guy if he wants to be. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, there are definitely moments of levity throughout the film that I really enjoyed. Like I was saying with that police chief and stuff. So it's I think overall for me it's an enjoyable film. I think I'll return to it. Hopefully, you know, knowing a little bit more of what to expect as far as when it's going towards the end, I think maybe I could, and then maybe trying to decipher, yeah, what exactly the hell is going on with, you know, these different people and not not having gloved hands. Oh, I guess they had gloved hands, but not wooden hands. Yeah. Bunch of bullshit. I mean, in all fairness, well, I guess this wouldn't even be fair. Like, this is probably my least favorite movie we've done. 25 episodes no but it's okay. it's right around there maybe like the third most not like you like movie. you like uh yeah i was gonna say uh, ursula you like that one better than oh ursula? yeah i would watch ursula five times before i watch this again i was gonna say or you're forgetting who you're talking to well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm going back and forth between um, Lizard and Woman's Skin, Four Flies, and this one. Like, out of those yeah. three movies, which one do I think is the worst? And I can Might see how... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I can see how those three would kind of all be lumped into the same category for you, because they're all similar in a way as... You know, there's not a lot of not a lot of stuff to look at. Well, this one's way more scenes. convoluted than either one convoluted, of those two. Yeah. And to say that this is more convoluted than Lizard is saying something. Right. Yeah, I'll probably put it a notch above that, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll, we've had a couple weak ones lately, but I I think this one is. Hey, watch it, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, two hours of Hitchcock. So, so what do you think, Chris? How how does this one rank for you? Um, well, again, I think that uh, it, it's it's kind of a a dark and dirty and gritty giallo. It's 
kind of like what you would get if a spaghetti western person did a giallo um there's not a lot of there's there's no light in the film at all it's it's almost all dark um the dark scenes are very dark and even the light scenes are kind of dark except um, at the moroni house that's what's weird the moroni stuff yeah. is like super bright and um it's really the the complexity of the story that keeps me interested excuse me i do like george hilton um in this i think he's uh, got a good performance i think they did a really good job with the english language version at least where he was concerned i kind of noticed that most of it really synced up i mean clearly he wasn't speaking in italian but or, i'm sorry he wasn't speaking in english but they managed to sync up the, you know the, the edits the camera cuts the cutaways and, and everything um with the english language version pretty well compared to some of the other yeah. films i've seen um and uh you know obviously you know the big show-stopping scenes with the end scene and the dredger and the, the circular saw um so yeah I, I i like it i would go back and watch it again um i think i'm with eric on this one um I, i've seen it a bunch of times now i so saw you know i clearly wouldn't return to it anytime soon but it's uh, it now becomes one of those films where you can put it on in the background and still be able to catch up because you know pretty much all the stuff that is going on already. As long as you didn't have anyone stopping by for that yeah, artist scene. Exactly. That'd be a little Yeah, awkward. I don't know. Now that I think about it, I don't know um, how likely I would be to put it on again because, again, the idea with watching Jolly more than once is either you want to see something that you missed and with regard to this film, most of what you missed is going to be in the plot. And I think we've, at this point, I've, I've pretty much figured out all of what's going on in the plot. So what's left is, what did you miss from a visual standpoint? And I don't know that there was much to miss. There's not. So I'm not sure that, uh, you know, it's, it's really high up on the list for repeated viewings once you get to the point where um, you understand the plot. But... The first time through, you get to the end of the movie and you're like, what? I don't even understand what's going on. That just totally makes you want to watch it again, at least for me. Um, because it wasn't it wasn't like a stupid movie. He's so stupid that you got to the end and you're like, oh, that was the most ridiculous movie ever. I'm never going to watch it again. I mean, the movie tried its best to be serious and to tr it tried to get itself taken seriously. And so if you get to the end of the film and you realize that the film is operating on mostly a serious level and you don't understand what was happening for me it makes me want to go back and watch it again uh, because I want to figure out what I missed so um, at, at this point you know it, it's certainly not uh, it, it's not going to land in my top 10 favorite Jolly of all time but uh, it, it's it's definitely not the worst film I've ever seen did you at any point think that George Hilton was the killer no. <laughs> okay. Um, I say no, not even, I... not even like the very first time I watched it because um, I, I don't know. It, it seems like you know, George Hilton uh, plays lots of different roles, but in this particular case, he's a police in inspector. So I can't even imagine that they would 
you know, they, they seem in these films they seem to treat the police with a certain amount of reverence even though they make them look stupid like I don't think they would ever say okay the police inspector is uh, aha here's the twist he's the killer you know I think that's just investigating his own crime <laughs> well I mean listen you know there are there, there's a film that he's in where that happens and I won't reveal any more than that and it's really well done um, and I I don't I won't give anything else away because we haven't covered it on this podcast, but th- there's something very similar to that has happened in a giallo. Uh-huh. And, uh, I like the way that it, uh, I like the way that they did it in that one. Yeah. But, um, you know, as far as the, as far as oh, the I giallo, say that I, oh, I'm sorry. While, oh, while we're talking about that real quickly, I just wanted to say that there was a split second where I was almost taken. And, and it was because of that, that fact that I've been burned before. I mean, it was when he was churning the mirror. I thought he was going to turn the reflective part to his face. And you <laughs> see his face reflecting in the mirror saying, It was me. <laughs> that was awesome. It was my split personality. No, I was going <laughs> to say that the uh, the Jalo score gives it a 67. Um, and that is primarily because we don't have an amateur detective for sure. So there's 10 points there. Was that 10 or 5? I can't remember. Um, it lost... Uh, Amateur Detective, it lost 5 points. And it lost 5 points uh, for motivation. The killer really was just out for, you know... Well, I don't know. Did I give it, did I give it 10 points for that? Let's see. No, yeah. Okay, I did. The killer was out for revenge. He was psychologically damaged. I mean, that's the motive, right? I mean, Oliviero Oliviero saved his brother in the war. He lost his arm and then, or lost his hand, and then he was jealous of all the things that Alessandro ended up getting as a result and wished that it was all, you know, his instead. I think that's the the real motive. Um, But the killer is never killed. he is taken in by the police, so he doesn't avoid capture. Um, so he lost. There's ten points being lost there. So you got fifteen points that it missed. So it would have, you know, it would have put it uh, at um, an eighty-two if it had that. An eighty-two is obviously a respectable Jalo score. Um, there wasn't that. There weren't that many signatures, uh, which are like the one point guys uh the j&b bottles and the foreigner and um the psychologist in the spiral stairs it was none of those little signature things that yeah. make the giallo look like a particular um a particular style of film so um i think 67 sounds about right for this one as yeah. far as whether <clears throat> i have a, i have another problem with this Besides the fact that Woody's trying to hide in a bookcase at the end of the movie, um, he's wearing a light brown blazer when he's being questioned, or like when he's doing the mirror thing. And then at the end of the movie, it's like a dark brown, like almost black. Hmm. Hmm. And then if you pull a cord out of a lamp, do all the lamps in the room turn off? Depends on how hard you pull it. Apparently. <laughs> Is that what someone said? Well, no. It's just they oh. pulled the cord out 
and all the no, lights in the place went out, and then the way they got the lights back on was to slice the cord and catch it on and, like, jump-starting the car. It was just weird. I don't know. Okay. I've had <laughs> enough. But yeah, to Chris's <laughs> point, don't ignore the signatures. Don't ignore bit. them. Yeah, because they make the movie feel like a movie. Exactly. I think that's what it comes down to with this one. I think we all agree. Yeah. It's missing those little things that make it what it should be so with all of that being said we have to talk about what our next film's gonna be drum roll someone went and got some troops on their side it looks like who you I don't know Knife of Ice suddenly got quite a few more votes here at the last couple you know at the midnight hour so do you think I just like called Bullshit. Yep. Fuck night. Uh, at the top, six votes each. Oh what are my we gonna do? God. Chris, go vote. <laughs> yeah, I never voted. Here. No, I didn't vote. Don't vote for your own because that would not solve this problem. <laughs> Perversion yeah. story. Well, if I if I voted for myself, then we'd have a three way tie, right? I think you'd only pull within another point. Or one, you'd pull within one point, I think. Looks like we've each got six and you've got four. Oh, okay. Yeah, math is a tricky bitch. It sure is. These Facebook <laughs> polls don't really make it very clear either. All right, I'm voting for Knife of Ice then. Oh. <laughs> I had no idea. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to thank you. Um, it was like two weeks perversion story was at top, at the top. I, th- I was going to get back-to-back picks. I thought you were going to get back-to-back picks, too. I'm just as shocked as you are. This this <laughs> is amazing. Um, I just want to thank the Academy and everyone oh, who made this right. possible. Um, yeah. Nobody made it possible. <laughs> thank you. I guess six people made it possible. Vote. I voted for <clears throat> Knife of Ice because I've never seen it. That's why. And you are going to be I know for a world of fun, my friend. And I'm, re- and I'm ready for uh, a new Jello to watch. Yep. It's going to be a good one. This is going to conflict with World of Warcraft, I'm just saying. <laughs> it will for a moment. Well, I, I, I can't play WoW on the train, so it should be fine. Oh. All right. Well, then, ladies and gentlemen, next week we will be listening to us talk about the amazing movie Knife of Ice which is a fun one there's no losers there are none because we're going to get to all of these Yeah, we're going to do Perversion Story aka one on top of another aka that one Jalo that takes place in San Francisco aka <laughs> that one movie, and then we get to do a a slasher jala and talk about that with happy birthday to me, me, damn it, me. So yeah, I'm very excited. This was this was good times. Um, yeah. All right. Well then, I guess uh, we will leave you with the trailer to Knife of Ice. Ciao, ciao.
Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.